but we just need to be really mindful of the well-being pace is all I'd say because it can get yeah some big hours being punched out. Yeah, I, I just think the thing that reminds me, you know, I've got a wife and kids at home and I'll only get the opportunity to see my kids grow up once and the farm will still be there. I'd like to acknowledge the Jirai Wurrung people, the people whose land we're recording this podcast on, and I'd like to extend my respects to your elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to say good day to any Torres Strait Islander or Indigenous people who are tuning in to the Humans of Agriculture podcast and extend my respects to your mob wherever they are. A weekly podcast is sponsored by LAWD and their support has been absolutely instrumental in supporting me to bring these incredible stories to you and helping me get into it full time. Well guys, welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. It's another Wednesday. I hope your week's going well and that you're excited to sit down and listen to today's chat. You may have seen that I jumped the gun slightly on socials. I shared a few different snippets which if you haven't, head over to Instagram at humans of agriculture with an underscore. Some of the comments from our community have been absolutely incredible. And I think this podcast in particular probably epitomises what we're about. It's a mixture of light conversation, plenty of laughter. But when it's needed, we have real talk with real honesty. Today, I'm sitting down with James Knight in his beautiful garden down at the Sisters near Mortlake in southwestern Victoria. James Knight is an unashamed city boy from Gardenvale, just on the outskirts of Melbourne. He fell in love with agriculture, and well, geez, it's been a heck of a ride for him. In today's episode, James shares a bit about his perspective and journey so far, from both sides of the fence. He's been able to lean on his experience in corporate farming and agribusiness, and now in a family farming operation. There's some really interesting points which he brings into the discussion. Certainly lands a bit of food for thought, and I know from a few of you that have reached out already, I reckon you're in for a bit of a ride. But the road to where he's come to today hasn't been all straightforward. James has faced his fair share of adversity. He speaks of the times where he has found himself in the darkness. And while he battled with his own demons, he found himself pushing those closest to him away. With the help of professionals and a realisation that his behaviours were impacting those we really cared about, James got his life back on track and on his own terms. If today's chat raises anything for you, sparks a bit of deeper thinking, or you just need to lean on someone, there's plenty of support out there, and we've included a few of those resources for you down in our show notes. James Knight, my um, my first ever ag corporate work experience boss. Yeah, I did have to jog my memory on that, Ollie, in, um, yeah, down in Melbourne in Queen Street, back in the good old days, yeah, where walking down for a coffee was, was a relief, not walking out to a paddock. Yeah, I remember I was actually um, not disorganised, but I was like, Jesus, I I was like, I could go back on farm to do my work placement, but I was like, I'd love to find out a bit more about corporate ag. And then you were cycling with dad or something at the time. That was where the intro started. And I remember I was at Mount Hess when I I called you and there was a couple of week window. Yeah, spot on. No, it was a great, uh, no, it was a great time down there. And uh yeah, definitely giving me a ba- awesome background for what and grounding for what I'm doing now. Tell me, um, whereabouts are we, and and what are you up to these days? Yeah, so Georgie and I, um, yeah, we're we're um sitting in a location called the Sisters. Um, for those that don't know, just south of Mortlake in southwest Victoria, thirty minutes north of Warrnambool and a couple hours west of Geelong. Um, so a beautiful part of the world most of the year, apart from July and 
August, which my wife enjoys, but I don't enjoy the cold. We're running, essentially running a beef breeding business, Ollie, is um, core business made over a bit over 2,200 hectares, 600 of that share cropped and the balance is grazing. So yeah, that's basically where we are now. It's been an awesome journey to date. We just keep, you know, trying to get a bit better and trying to do a bit more. And although this was home for Georgie, it wasn't always home for you. you uh, you're a Melbourne boy. Yeah, spot on. Yep, unashamedly uh, Melbourne born and bred. Um, mum and dad are still down there. Um, get down and see them a fair bit, so it's good farming here and being able to see them. Um, I grew up in a yeah sunny suburb called Gardenvale, which got amalgamated to um, Brighton, which always annoyed me because I had to say that I was from Brighton. <laughs> but <laughs> you don't quite have the twang on it, the Brighton. <laughs> That's right. I've um yeah, so I've ended up. I was uh, yeah born on the concrete and just got a bug for ag really early on from a really young age, um, and all of that credit goes to my uncle and auntie. Um, Ben and Pete Whittaker's up at Deneliquin. They got a, um, had a property up there. And, I, you know, when I was thinking about this awesome opportunity to sit down and, and the journey, I can still actually smell, you know, the front drive when they used to get a few mils of rain. And I remember as a kid, just we used to have to drive through a part of the Barmer Forest to get, you know, back out of the farm and just the tears like as soon as I hit the front grid I just used to nearly cry to a chuka I reckon (laughs) mum and dad said so I was really fortunate in that respect mum and dad just used to throw me on the bus at Spencer Street and was uh, looked after by the bus driver and uh, yeah went up went up to Danny Heaps and just got the yeah just got the bug there yeah sounds pretty similar to my experiences coming out of Sydney I remember Uh, and I feel like Mum would still reminisce on it today. I'd be leaving Sydney. I couldn't get on the plane quick enough. And then my uncle would drop me back at what well, was Tullamarine in those days and then Avalon afterwards and the tears. My God. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, was, um, it was heartbreaking <laughs> being dragged away from the farm. I just, I still remember it so vividly. And, and all of those lifetime memories when your uncle and auntie decide to retire and the, you know, and the farm sold, it was just a really a really sad day and yeah, it just stuck it basically just stuck with me mate I don't know what it was I was just dead set on getting out of town and getting into ag like I knew what I wanted to do really early like to the point I, re- I remember it and I will say this because mum will listen to this one day I honestly didn't know how much I was spending on private school fees at the time but I'm sitting in the library in the um, National Geographic magazine section looking for properties and outback stations and I'd been watching all these, you know, ringers from the top end run around and do cool stuff. So I decided to go home to mum at the end of year 10 and tell her that I wanted to go to Brunette Downs, Jackarooing. Well, <laughs> she didn't slap me, but um, it was close <laughs> to. She, she, she said to me, you will, definitely, you will definitely finish school, and then once you finish school, you can do what you want to do, get an education first, please. Yeah. <laughs> so you finished school? I did finish school, mate. I was very fortunate to go to a fantastic school in, in Melbourne. Um, the parents nearly went destitute sending me to, and I'll be forever grateful um, for that. And I missed it a lot when I left. Went to a thing they called schoolies, which is the most overrated week of my life. Um, <laughs> and I started jackarooing about a week later um, for a company by the name of TA Fields up at um, Carathol. 
which once again, you know, when I think about, you know, and I'm harping on it, but the grounding and the learnings that I got, I just had a, you know, hard but fair management crew. You did the things that needed to be done. The place was Mickey Mouse. We washed vehicles, did all those chores, worked hard, but played really hard. Yeah, so that's where, and I probably spent, (laughs) I, I spent whatever it was, as long as I could until the phone call probably came back from mum saying, uh, uh, James, I think it's time you went and came back and went to uni. And I'm like, oh, mum, but I've, I can count sheep four wide now and they've bumped my pay rate accordingly. <laughs> I think I want to stay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that, that was cool. That was jackarooing. Went, um, went back to Melbourne. Um, for uni and unfortunately hated Melbourne again, having been um, born and bred and I sort of claimed a fair bit of independence being up at Carathool. So, moved yeah. back in with the parents or did you go to college? Mate, I did. I moved back in with the parents. It was, t- it was tough. I think I did uh, two years. Yeah, I did two years of uni down there at La Trobe, which was great. But then uh, there was a large convoy of cars going to a... Um, going to the University of England one day after a party was that I was at and I soon decided that that's where I wanted to be. So um, mum and dad kindly said, oh, we'll chip in. We'll chip in a bit if you can find a job and, you know, pay your way. So I ended up at the University of New England, which from a broad scale, out on farm learning point of view, they just had so many great operators and larger assets for us to look at or larger businesses for us up there yeah so I finished mate I finished my uni degree up there which was which was awesome yeah you know and a heap of fun I don't know how we passed it was just yeah (laughs) (laughs) that old you know work hard play hard was you know well and truly entrenched up there as well (laughs) it sounds like your mum's been a fair fair influence um on you yeah um yeah, mum's been great. Uh, mum just taught me, um, you know, values and morals and I think just generally how to treat people. Um, yeah, couldn't have done it without her. She's a huge influence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'll get emotional talking about it, sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. You're getting me emotional, yeah. mate. <laughs> and um, that finding your tribe, the mates you made, Jack Rooing, but then also being around people who are like-minded like you and out of the the city lights of Melbourne, that uh, that would have been something that your parents would have loved seeing, wouldn't they? Yeah, I, I think so, mate. But, like, you know, um, I've got two young kids and it must be a bit daunting when you send your kids off to, you know, I was a long way away from home and I was out in the country a lot and, you know, it can be a dangerous workplace at the best of times. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they they just encourage they just, I think they just knew I had a deep passion for ag, um, so were good enough to support it. Really, yeah, yeah, financially and you know watching the clock go around at night, wondering where I was. <laughs> where's Where's that message? Where is James today? That's right. <laughs> no mobile phones back then either. No, I remember, mate. I had a long term girlfriend at Carathor, and I used to sort of have to uh, walk out of the Jackaroos quarters and stand on one foot and lick one finger with this silver flip phone um, to, to 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 speak to her. So I do remember that my first mobile. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I'm sounding old and very important. No. I didn't get my first iPhone until 2012. <laughs> yeah. 
Crazy. Oh, amazing. So that was the dream out of uni to go back uh, on, on farm or did the University of New England start to give you a, a bit of a taste for what else was out there? Yeah, g- great question. I reflect on this a lot. Um, it was like these uni books that still had the one-way plough on them and stuff like this. I was like, I sort of went through uni thinking that I wanted to be an agronomist, even though my uncle and auntie had a stud cattle business and cropping. Um, I was like, well, I want to be an agronomist. And at that point in time, Ollie, that cropping space was reasonably sexy. Like we had auto steer coming in, um, all this technology that was rolling out. And with all due respect to um, the um, grazing business, Australia Wide, I just saw it as a pretty old, slow-moving demographic. So, yeah, that's what I was going to do. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an agronomist or focus on cropping. Yeah, yeah. And so is that what you did? No. What did I do? <laughs> I ended up... It was interesting, you know. It wasn't that long ago, mate. It, wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up... I did a bit of part-time work with the guys at TAFL, which was cool. Helped me out on holidays and stuff. Had great networks there. I ended up back at um, Rice Research Australia at Gerildery. So that business was breeding all the rice seed for the Australian rice industry. Commercial rice, commercial cropping and a small cattle herd. And just once again... I. Coming out of uni, or there's something ingrained in me, and it's still the same today, where I was looking for these businesses that had a clear vision or goals and direction as to where they were headed. Mm-hmm. So Rice Research had corporate structure as well. They're a subsidiary of Sunrise. They reported to a board um, and and just had some, yeah, some amazing people there and, more importantly, um, a great um, bloke by the name of Russell Ford who was my boss there, even though I hate that um, term. Um, I worked for a gentleman by the name of Russell Ford and he was just the most fantastic guy um, and taught me a hell of a lot and more importantly, looked after me really well. Um, yeah, so that's where I ended up for, yeah, that short stint. Yeah. That, uh, that piece around vision, it's interesting for uh, one of your first jobs out of uni. Like how, does, how does a young fella come across this need for a business to have governance and structure and a, and a vision what like yeah where did that come from I don't, it's a really good question I suppose I was always a little um business focused in ag it was like um yeah I ju- it's the business that really interests me it's like it's even through to today if my life involved making sure ball floats were up the right way or we we're sharpening barbed wire you know I just couldn't think of anything Worse, you know, it's actually knowing where the business is, what our next move is, how we can strategically do things better that motivate me. So maybe it's always been there, mate. I don't know. <laughs> and and so the business vision, did you have this idea of what you wanted to do and the and the kind of steps? Once you, through Rice Research, got a taste of what agribusiness was like, then did you start to see the pathway starting to develop and open uh. up? Not really, because I was pretty young. Like I was pretty young there, mate. I was straight out of straight out of uni, um, and then yeah, it was it was interesting that next step actually, because I had to rock. I rocked up to Russell one day and said, "Oh, look, um, there's an opportunity um, back in Southwest Victoria on Georgie's family farm. 
I think I'm going to go back and give that a go. Yep. So that was my, another one of those businesses where I didn't really want to leave. I just saw an opportunity. Someone I think at that time was like, oh, you know, this could be my future. Like this is where we could end up. And no, and no disrespect to my father-in-law, but he just wasn't ready. He just wasn't ready for the next generation at that point in time. Um, and it also had, has had some stuff going on in his life that you know had been hard to deal with. So just wasn't the right timing. But but when that I realised that was going to end, like what I thought was going to be the future in Southwest Victoria, it was really really dark. Yeah. Like, it, um, yeah, it, it was a really interesting point in time. I thought I was letting the whole family down by leaving. They all wanted me to stay and give it a go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, yeah, I just got to a point, mate, where um, it was really dark. And uh, um, I, was a, I, was a bad, I was a bad person through that. If I look... I don't think people realise until they've been that dark that you actually don't mean to hurt the people around you. It's just that it's all about self-preservation at that point in time and actually getting through to the sun coming up the following morning because sometimes you actually don't think it is going to. Most of the time, you don't think it's going to. So, you know, I was going out with Georgie, my wife at the time. I was really... I, I, I basically just... Um, uh, went walkabout. Um, I was drinking heavily. My family didn't know where I was. Georgie didn't know where I was. It was just a really bad, um, bad, just a really complicated time in my life. The turning point for me was, mate, that I, once I realised and woke up to how I was affecting the closest people around me, and I was so fortunate that none of them left me, like they were all still there, even though I wasn't answering the phone, et cetera, et cetera, or let them know where I was. Once I actually woke up to the fact that I was hurting them really badly and I got help through, and I got help through it, I actually reached out for, and realised that I needed help. Um, biggest learning was it was like your, your family and Georgie and those closest people to you are just the most important people in your life, like be all and end all. Um, so yeah, I, sorry, it was just something I wanted, I told you nothing was off the record. So um, yeah, it was just an interesting time of my life, mate. Yeah, yeah. And what, yeah. what, what age were you at this stage? Mate, I'm turning 40, you're better at maths than me, I'm turning 40 this year, it was about 2006 or seven. There you go. Yeah. So it was a while ago. 26. Yeah, there you Ish. go, mid-20s, yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Plus or minus a few. <laughs> and, and so that, that time, realising that, yeah, maybe there wasn't a space for you here at that point in time, like a feeling of, of loss, but then mm. kind of waking up to that and actually dealing with it. What, like, what were the next steps from there? And how, how did you actually then start to put one foot in front of the yeah, other? Yeah, it was interesting. Well, I got help. I saw this beautiful lady in Melbourne who just talked me through it and, and 
and made I think made me realise the impact I was have that was definitely the thing Ollie that got me out of it realising that I was having a really negative impact on other people and hurting them immensely so I sort of it was a sort of a um, the the next steps, mate, were building the confidence again to actually go back out into the workforce. Really, I knew I wanted to be an ag, but I had to sort of rock up to an interview or start having a look around while the motivation's low, the confidence is really low, um, and yeah, this job. Um, I came across this job with um, a company by the name of Warakiri Cropping. It was a, you know, large cropping business, rah, rah, rah. So I sort of mum once again, you know, speaking to her a lot. And she said, well, I know you're not really up for it, but just rock up to the interview and have a listen and put your best foot forward. Well, I went to that um, interview with that farm manager and I was just blown away at uh, the business side of this business, this cropping business. The KPIs, the metrics, the return on investment hurdles, all this stuff. And I got a bit energised and they thought I was really good, but I'd never been flatter in life. And I took that, yeah, I took that role. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was the next step. Yeah. Was that on farm? Was, mate. Yeah, it was down in southwest Victoria. Um, yeah, near a place called uh, Streatham. Yeah, so not far north of here. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Warwickiri Cropping. I think I ended up, uh, might have been there for four or five years or something. Yeah, on farm as a system manager. It was cool. Really, yeah, great business. Yeah, yeah. Shows that I wasn't a very good listening. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank. And I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. I'm sure that would have come up back when I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they brought me into the office because maybe I had some grounding on the tools, mate. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> How was that progression going from the paddock into the office and obviously... By this stage, you're well and truly a, a country kid, and had found his his roots, and getting convinced to come into, yeah. into Melbourne. Bloody hell! That it must was have another um, story. It was like it was another really in, for me. Sorry, maybe not all the listeners, but for me, another really interesting step. The corporate business decides I'll sell the farm. I'm like, so I'm sort of once again, mum. Talking to mum and at the time and um, Georgie as well um, was still with me. And uh, I was talking and the business was going from a $90 million business to $180 million business at that time um, with the life of the trust rolling over. I think that was the point in time. So I sort of thought, oh, well, given the expanding business, maybe there's an opportunity for like a back of house role in Melbourne. So I sort of said to the um, new CEO, um, 
Yeah, I said, oh, you know, would there be a role in town, back of house? And he said, I'll leave it with me. I'll have a think about it. And uh, then I had to go home and tell Georgie that we were thinking about moving to <laughs> Melbourne because she was country born and bred. That we're going to move back into the big smoke. And she was, she was a little apprehensive, I think. But, mate, it was just a good opportunity. So, um, yeah, my, um, my boss at the time, Adrian Gernon, sat me down in Ballarat, said, yep, I reckon we could, you know, fit you into an assistant commercial manager role in town. And, and uh, mate, I ended up in um, Coin Street in Melbourne. Yeah. There you have it. I want to I want to backstep. You just you've spoken about something which is actually a really interesting topic and quite a few of our listeners um are in their 20s or or kind of this stage in their career where it's coming to making decisions like around lifestyle around yeah, is what I'm doing today really what I want to do? But yep. that piece in your 20s and not knowing and feeling lost and as you said finding some really really dark times. Now you're on the the, the other side of that, though, but looking back at your 20s, what would you say to people who are going through things like that? Yeah, easy, mate. Um, so the depression and stuff was its own unique little moment outside of that, like you said, and looking back, take every opportunity that you possibly can. Weigh them up, like positives, negatives, and the interests in that role, but take every opportunity, really simple, mate, take every opportunity that's given to you. Yeah. And don't worry about uh, sitting still for too long? Um, no. I, look, I, I, I'm, I haven't been someone that's been in those roles for one or two years at a time. They've been four or five years, each of those steps. So, no, I'm not a, I'm not a job hopper or whatever they may You're term. You're not a me. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I just, like, t- to this day, just, yeah, t- take every opportunity you... You, bi- you build such good relationship with people you don't know where it might take you. Yeah, yeah. And so you well and truly found your feet in, in at Warrakiri, worked your way up to the operations manager, uh, dealing with... Well, can, can you run us through back then, like how many farmers were you dealing with? What was a day for you like? Yeah, what, what you spot doing? on. I reckon it was... I reckon I, c- yeah, came in assistant commercial manager, <clears throat> got a good grounding there, mate, thrown in the deep end. Like it was just poor... People used to say, you know, farms used to say, oh, I've had a big day. I was like, oh, you should try sitting at your desk from 7.30, 8 o'clock till 6 o'clock just in the pressure cooker down here, mate. Like, I'd much rather be on a boom sprag and guarantee you. But great, thrown in at the deep end. Um, systems, processes, um, you know, a dollar span for $3 return, you know. It was, um, it was pretty full on. But really, my role, and they made it reasonably clear when I went in that I was going to be a conduit between farm staff and the corporate function or the office. Right in the middle, the wedge. Yeah, and it wasn't. And it was reasonably simple at times, mate, where you had an accounting staff member say, I'm not getting much uptake from so-and-so. They've given me absolute donuts, but they're ringing on the 20th of May or something when they've been seeding for a month or they're in the middle of a big spray program or it was just actually getting that understanding in the office of what was going on um, outside. Um, and then, yeah, got offered the offer opportunity um, as ops manager halfway halfway through at that time, mate, ballpark figures, 70, 80,000 hectares of crop in, uh, oh, farms, I'll just broadly say, 
farms from the Wimmera in Victoria through to Dolby in Queensland, two farms in WA, mm -hmm. and a business that was expanding quite rapidly as far as land acquisitions. So a busy time, um, 55 or 60 contractor service agreements in place that I had to manage, um, workplace health and safety committees, um, plant and equipment investment committees, grain marketing. It was just a plethora of stuff, basically. <laughs> yeah. But um, just an awesome ground, like just an awesome grounding for basically anything you wanted to do from there on in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my just a, you know, in the business inception was in 1996. It had one Australian investor, wasn't complicated. They knew agriculture. Um, yeah, it, it was just a, a genuinely good business with a track record. Yeah, yeah. And then fast forwarding that onto how you've ended up here, that uh, what the phone call nearly, what, nine or ten years later after, uh, yeah, after initially leaving here and, and heading off on that Warakiri journey. Yeah. How did um, it come about? Oh, well, it's quite simple, actually, Ollie. Um, <laughs> I, um, we were sitting at home and Georgie's like, oh, I'm um, keen to go back to the farm. Reckon Dad needs a hand. Um, I'd like to have a crack at it, basically. Georgie was a driver and I was a bit, yeah, and I was just a bit like, oh, you know, family farming, assets, intergenerational succession and everything that's going to come with this. But, um, you know... I think Georgie was going, yeah. <laughs> Whether I was coming with her or not, um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think she was headed bush. So, yeah, away, away we went. I resigned. It was a very sad day because I would have never left. Um, I would have never left Warwickiri. It was just a great business. There's a plug, guys, but it's real. Um, they're a great family, great family, and they're still doing great things. Um, I've got a good relationship with quite a few of them still. Um, so yeah, came back to Southwest Victoria and yeah, dealt with all of the joys that family farming assets come with. <laughs> can, can I? Uh, well, mm, definitely. On this, <laughs> I, I, I want to know. So you hear the story of um, city girl meets country boy. She ends up moving to the country. City boy meets mm. country girl. You go back and you start working for Georgie's dad. What were you think? Like, oh, <laughs> what mate. were you thinking? Is what I was going to say. It's amazing. <laughs> but it, in, I, I, I say, what were you thinking in terms of? Yeah, you you're going to work for your in laws. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. <clears throat> the benefit I had, the benefit I had here, Ollie, was that the <clears throat> things that I really that were really going to motivate me and drive me, um, Bruce was willing to give up straight away. He was done with paying bills, the office function, and, um, excuse me, <clears throat> running the business. So I, I knew that. But, yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic because it's not your dad, it's your father-in-law. Um, I knew that we'd probably think um, really differently and... Um, we still do like it's just it's just hard like you know I still find it hard today like it's just <clears throat> yeah he can be very detailed and as the business is growing so much I'm getting bigger picture every day so and 
and just stamping out some of those cultural things too, Ollie, just the um, non-evidence-based sort of things without being critical that were going on, trying to stamp some of them out early. It was it was tough, and full credit to Georgie, like she just manages she just manages that side of things yeah really yeah really well and makes my life a lot easier yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how how does the roles look for between yourself and Georgie and Bruce now yeah so Bruce is oh look there's plenty of things that I'd never get round to doing if it wasn't for Bruce so yeah, it's amazing, and um, yeah, he's got uh, yeah he's got his truck that he does a whole lot of um, stuff for us. Um, so yeah, he's an asset to the business, but you know, um, doesn't do a, a lot um, operationally, but he's really handy. Georgie, oh mate, she's uh, she's just a rock. Uh, I'm an extrovert, as if you, you guys would have all suddenly realised. Um, love to talk. You know how I'm feeling, so I wear it on my sleeve. Georgie's an introvert. Sometimes you've got to shake her to actually find out whether she's okay. But um, that, Ollie, just that support and that home function. Um, and I'm not sounding no, like I'm not. I'm not saying this in bad taste or anything, but just having a meal, no matter what time of night it is, I get home. Um, having her there for the kids being able to call on her to do stuff around the farm when I'm under the pump. Um, she, Yeah, she's integral, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about the you, when you guys, it wasn't long after you moved home and you managed to find yourself a bit of media, but behind the media was, <laughs> was a little award. You Yourself and Georgie decided to enter a competition and come out on top. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we, yeah. Not so fashions on the field. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> that was Georgie at Gerildery in whatever year. <laughs> um, yeah, we came back. Um, yeah, I was pretty keen, mate, to run this business as a business. I didn't want to be another farmer driving around thinking that they were busy, focusing on the wrong things. Um. So we put an advisory board in place. Uh, we put systems and processes in place that I think are comparable to what, you know, you would have had the insight to at Queen Street. Um, and, yeah, the, the, that little award was just a very small thing we did where we sent some feeder steers into the um, tease trial that we still that we still send uh, cattle to and came out on top in our first year, which was... Uh, yeah, which was pretty funny actually. Or the funniest thing was the um was the Facebook thing, Ollie, where they've pulled the <clears throat> I'd had a few drinks by this stage. It was pretty late in the night where they um give give the award and they dragged me outside and remember doing this interview <clears throat> um and I said and I said, Now we got off, I said, Now you'll edit that, won't you, before she and they said to me, There's a bit of a problem with that, James. It's gone live to Facebook already. <laughs> <laughs> There's a learning there. <laughs> so so, so I reckon we got back from the pub at 2 or 3 a.m., mate, and I'm sort of lying in bed like this, listening to my thing back, going, oh, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> so, no, it's been, it's been good, mate. And, look, it was just we sent some steers in to make sure that, um, you know, what we were producing would fit supply chain specifications, basically. It was just a benchmarking exercise from a physical side. Yeah. And so setting the foundations... Tell us a little bit about what the business growth has been like. It's um, been a journey. Yeah. It's probably one word. Yeah, yeah. 
It's been cool, mate. Um, yeah, it's been hard too. It's been cool and hard. It just depends what day you ask me on. I'm pretty relaxed at the moment, so it's pretty cool at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> mate, um, we came, we came back. Um, beef breeding business, say joining 700 cows, autumn calving. Uh, pretty simple business, which was good, which was good. Oh, maybe I just took a few opportunities along the way, mate, that were presented to me. Gets us today. Yeah, I think we've seen broadly 80% increase in land under management, 130 or 40 in cattle numbers. So joining 1,700 females this October, um, I've got two ripping team members that are with me now, two call them young I'm told not to call them young but they're a bit younger than me and they're great um yeah it's been a big yeah it's it's been a bit to get my head around mate and not without its hiccups along the way either how'd you guys go with that decision to actually bring on stuff because you nearly put yourself uh mm. between a rock and a hard place I did I did, yeah I've had a pretty big 18 months mate so I'm enjoying yeah, having the support from these um, two great people I've got now. Uh, so, yeah, simplistically, I uh, got into lots of things early, mate. Um, asked for a lot of advice. Got into benchmarking. Had an advisory board. So I had a lot of, yeah, and I use a lot of evidence-based decision-making, I suppose. As stupid as that sounds. Um, <clears throat> change from autumn carving to spring carving. Um, in the middle of COVID was presented with a property to buy and lease that went close to doubling the size of the business. Very old asset, hadn't had a lot done to it. So it was a huge property development piece, let alone spending a fortune on cattle that everyone told me were too dear at the time. But yeah, it was just basically an opportunity to go and I just knew that that time was the time to move. I could access bank debt very cheaply. Um, it was very strategic in nature, the move. Um, what I grossly underestimated was how much work it was. And I just think we need to be mindful in farming <clears throat> particularly in livestock businesses, that they don't really sleep. Yeah. Mate and I were saying a while ago, Ollie, it was like, oh, I don't really feel sorry for the croppers. I've never heard of a canola crop that's let itself out on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> if you did, you got a problem. <laughs> that's right. You live, you live in your workplace, like the house we're sitting at now. We actually look over the farm. People go, oh, amazing view. Like, well, it actually works in reverse, guys, because you're constantly looking out on your workplace. Yep. That's what was really cool in Melbourne. I could differentiate the workplace from home. Here it's a bit harder. And there is a lady on our advisory board that, you know, I'm mindful of bringing up these conversations with her each time we speak because she actually... They're all concerned about my well-being, but just having that sounding board on. The sun will still come up tomorrow morning. The work will still be there. Um, I, you know, I used to. Oh, and I, th I think there's a bit of that aspect, Ollie, where it's like, oh well, 
don't go to the deathbed having run yourself into the ground because there's more to life than that. Even though that I've got skin in the game like you do now with your business. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a motivator. Yeah. But we just need to be really mindful of the well-being piece is all I'd say because it can get yeah some big hours being punched out. And, um, yeah, I, I just think the thing that reminds me, you know, I've got a wife and kids at home and I'll only get the opportunity to see my kids grow up once and the farm will still be there. I've got... Yeah, I've got no motivation. I've got no interest in slowing down. I just think over the last 18 months on that particular acquisition, I've just had some reasonably dark and and times to reflect on that piece in farming. What are the steps that you, you take to then manage that? Yeah, um, staff was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely... Definitely one of them. Um, people, you know, people bang on about, you know, DSEs per labour unit and stuff. I was like, well, I'm actually going to burn out at the rate I'm going mm-hmm. and farming's not really sexy anymore for me. Sexy's not the right term. Farming's just become a grind mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be. There were too many days where I was like, oh, this is hard work instead of having more days of like, this is pretty cool, like we're doing well. Um so staff was one of them, and just uh, it's more a it's more a mental thing, Ollie. I think the steps. It's more a mindset change. Mm-hmm. It's it's more front of mind now than what it was. But with that said, I'm still young enough to be working hard, so I don't I don't really want to slow down that much. And I'm really proud of where we've got to to date. And you know, I was saying earlier, g- great mate, um, uh, posty. Oh, G'day, Richard Post from Glen Avon, Angus at Gyra. There's your plug, big fella. Um, Loyal loyal listener. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Should be now. We hope so. Posty, hello. (laughs) You there, mate? You better be listening. Posty said to me once on the phone, you know, I reach out to a lot of people, you know, sounding boards and um, good friends. He said to me, Nida, if... If you weren't sort of half swimming or challenged, I reckon you'd be bored. And maybe there's a little bit of that, Ollie. Don't mind sitting on the edge and pushing myself a bit. But, uh, yeah, couldn't be prouder, mate. It's a good, you know, we're in a really good space. And I think we've been through a really interesting period of ag over the last couple of years. Um, Low interest rates, high commodity markets, um, yeah, it just felt right for me to go when we went. Just, yeah, what's the next step? <laughs> so what's making you optimistic about the future of Aussie Ag and in particular your business? I've always been optimistic about Aussie Ag and it's mainly around the clean, green, transparent image that we've got to global or wider markets, even domestic markets, we need to defend that, I think. We can go off on a huge tangent and talk about carbon and carbon neutrality and other things that we're looking at. But I'm, yeah, I'm bullish and optimistic um, looking forward. But we need to defend that space 
in my opinion. But we also need to be mindful that we're not taking our eye off the key production, you know, key production metrics or whatever, and that we're still profitable, producing enough kilos of meat per hectare, et cetera, et cetera. Which has been my main focus currently, mate. It's like I'm done my due diligence on this and that, but I just need to make sure that we're still keeping things simple mm-hmm. and we're still doing things well yeah i want to ask you a question but is there anything else that you wanted to cover or add at this stage not not really it's just um it's just that journey hasn't been about george and i just um just these all these awesome people that we work with like if it wasn't for all of them and the people that we've surrounded ourselves with we just wouldn't have got to where we are today and we're as you know blimp on the radar compared to a lot of ag businesses in Australia but we've just got the most fantastic people that do stuff for us and I have this thing that I do a lot and I actually thank service providers for their work sometimes you're confronted with like this service provider there's actually silence on the other end of the phone when you thank them for their work but it's like they don't like Jack doesn't have to come out and do my spreading or like do these, you know, projects for me. Like, old mate doesn't have to, you know, be my main service provider. Friend. It just doesn't, maybe just mum coming through again. Like, just thank people for their work. Like, and, and I think I was just, from the outset, I was like, I just need to surround myself with people that have differing skill sets to me. I'm never going to be good at everything, mm-hmm. especially managing, you know, a business of a certain scale. So, yeah, surround yourself by good people. Yeah, yeah. Well, that flows on well. Two questions to wrap up. Uh, first one being advice to Year 10 students. I know you're an avid listener of the this podcast. So you, <laughs> why they should consider a career in agriculture. That's the one. Um, mate, I think I covered off on it earlier. Take every opportunity that's presented to you. Um, it's probably not a heap of them in Year 10, but they start to flow thick and fast once you um, leave school and, be, you know, present yourself as a good person. Um, as far as agriculture, like what other industry can you work in where it is, you know, plants, animals, it's just a whole supply chain. It's just such a dynamic. You can be involved in so many different things um, and it's pretty fast-paced too and, you know, I think I use the word dynamic, but there's a lot going on. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just, I just can't think of another career where you get that many different opportunities to sit in different roles. They're all playing an integral piece in actually getting food onto people's plates. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I just reckon it's a really cool space that has changed a lot since I was sitting back at uni thinking that I needed to be an agronomist because tech and auto steer was really cool you know like (laughs) i'm now in a livestock business where we're running farm you know we're running electric fencing water monitoring weather all off my phone and the farm's 90 k's away like it's just things are moving really quickly and and the industry is screaming out for educated um you know good people to run assets that are becoming larger so the opportunities in ag are endless if you're sitting there in year 10 wondering about, you know, just dip your toe in the water. 
Yeah. Have a go. <laughs> have a go. One last question, which is a new one, yeah, which mate. I'm bringing in, and it's Great. actually just you answer it with a question. Um, for a future guest, don't know who it is yet. What's a question you'd like me to ask them? Oh my god, Ollie, this is your job. <laughs> <laughs> Right, it's a chance to throw something you're curious about now on the table or anything. I'm all, I won't frame this very well, Ollie. You can frame it. <laughs> but I'm always interested in asking people if you were in my position or whoever's position, like in my case, if you're a 40-year-old busted-ass beef farmer at the sisters, <laughs> what, what would you be focusing on, you know, what would your focuses be for me over the next five or ten years? That's something at all. I don't think I've answered that very well. I, this is your job, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so you're wanting me to ask someone, if they were James, 40 years old, farming at the Sisters, what should he be thinking about in the next five years? That's, that's right. Yeah. Okay. It's not a very good question, is it? We can come up with another one if you want. I think, oh, I think I'll have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> Well, it's Friday, isn't it? Well, the answer is brains cooked. <laughs> Office day too. Thank you so much for coming on for a yarn. It's oh, um, been uh, great. Yeah, it's been awesome. I feel absolutely honoured. I just uh, your podcast, mate. Like during those, you know, like I said, we've got a farm ninety k's away, so I can fit in a couple of podcasts really well in those trips. I just, I, I just, yeah, wanted to take the time to thank you so much for the podcast. I just find them. Just so energising, mate. And there's just been some amazing people on that platform and it's just gone a long way to, yeah, making me a better person and, uh, yeah, and having me plough through the next task, mate. So, yeah, thank you. You're doing an awesome job and I really appreciate sitting down. Yeah. Thank you, mate. That's very kind. (laughs) Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that chat as much as I did of... Certainly loved editing it and listening to it a few times over and there's plenty of food for thought in it. If you enjoyed this chat, love for you to share it with someone else. Jump on to your favourite podcast app. If you could, take two seconds, give us a review. This will help boost us up in the rankings but also help other people to find our conversations. We've got some pretty exciting guests over the next few weeks. We're chatting with Great Rap and a Spear... Olympia Yaga, oh god, who else? Prue Bonfield, I'm going to forget people, but keep your ears tuned. We've got some cracking conversations coming up. Between now and then, look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, and we will chat to you soon.